Good morning. We are thrilled that you have decided to spend your Sabbath morning with us as we delve into Scripture and we think about this concept of rest and rest in Jesus. Now, I'm excited to talk about how Sabbath intersects with the epistle of Hebrews and with the person of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, can I invite you to pray? God of grace, Lord of love, passionate Savior, we pray that as we think about rest, of restoration that comes with the promise of Sabbath, that we remember that the center to our faith proclamations must remain Jesus. That it is in him in who we find peace and the promise of a better tomorrow. And so we cling to you, O Lord, for we pray in your name. Amen. The words are echoing still from that Judean countryside. Come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest from the uncertainty of tomorrow. I will give you rest from working without really being recognized. I will give you rest from the oppressive rule and the boot of Rome planted on your throat. I will give you rest from religion devoid of righteousness. I will give you rest from bickering families. The promise of Jesus to his disciples is to enter this experience of rest, a rest that is all-encompassing. And it is a promise that continues to inspire people throughout the ages as we look for this experience of restoration and rest amidst places and moments that are every bit as chaotic as those Judean countrysides. It's interesting how the notion of a place and a person can be interconnected until you cease to recognize when the place ends and the person begins. This example might serve as a teachable moment for us all as we think about what it means to join people and places. My parents came to visit before the pandemic, and we grew up in the San Fernando Valley. And we returned to the home that my parents purchased when they were starting out with their lives. We returned to see the old neighborhood, the place we lived in before gentrification and the hustle and bustle of urbanization in the suburbs drew us to come and find rest and respite in Loma Linda. And when we finally pulled into that cul-de-sac to look at those cookie-cutter homes and those old trees and the swings that seemed to hold within them the memories of lives lived, there was a tear that began to stream down my mother's cheeks. It wasn't that the house was different. 
Sure, there had been some updates, and the street looked just a bit different. But the reality is, in that moment, she was linking. She was linking that place with this experience she had. Young and full of vigor in life. Planning for the future, dreaming about bringing up her two children. In a home. A home that would hold memories. A home in which kids would play in a pool in which kids would splash and invite their, invite their neighbors. A home in which we would bring grandchildren. At that moment, the place and the people became mixed, intermingled into one. And pregnant with the dreams and the aspirations of years gone by. It's interesting that the author of the epistle to the Hebrews also links people and places. To be sure, he talks about this notion of rest and Sabbath in the fourth chapter. And it seems like he is attempting to echo the same sayings that rang across that Judean countryside so long ago. Look at what he says in the fourth chapter of his epistle. And today we're simply going to be reading verses 1 through 7 of that particular chapter. He writes, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day on these, in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter his rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when he was a long, when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, when I read this particular passage, I almost always delivered it as the conclusion to my study on the Sabbath. The invitation to people to belong to this community that understood the idea of Sabbath better, better than anyone else. This really was a proof text that I utilized to countervene those who had said that the law had been nailed to the cross. That the commandment to Sabbath observance held no sway in a post-resurrection world. I think it's because I missed what the author of Hebrews is truly saying. Much like my mother in that cul-de-sac, the author of Hebrews is linking this idea of people and places. This idea of wilderness wanderings and the promise of Canaanite rest. But the mistake has made, been made by many, including myself, to think that what Jesus is actually talking about when he is referring to this entrance into an experience of rest 
has to do with Canaan or the promised land or heaven if you're reading the text with a view on the eschaton. But look at what he says and read a bit more carefully. He says, therefore, by the way, this begins a, what we call in uh, Greek literature, a hortatory account, one in which the author is pleading with his audience. So listen to his plea. Since the promise of entering his rest still stands. So pause with me for a moment and ask the question, what is he talking about when he is talking about rest? Like I said before, I always thought that he was talking about entrance into Canaan or access into heaven. But could it be possible that what the author of Hebrews is actually inviting you and I to do is to enter into the very existence of the triune God, to participate in the discourse of divinity, to share in the experience of being in the family of God. I think this is what he's saying, because notice that what we are invited to enter into isn't simply rest. It is a particular type of rest. It is the rest of the divine. Now, the author of Hebrews points us back to the second chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, the second verse, when it is stated that God rested on the seventh day three times, the time is mentioned in that particular passage. And the seventh day is elevated above all other days with the proclamation that indeed it was very good. But the reality is that what the author of Hebrews is attempting to remind us of is that the invitation to Genesis Rest is the same in the beginning as it is now, and that is to enter into the experience of the divine. To enter into a space where you commune with God, to enter into a space where you playfully participate in the discourse of a loving God who continues to create and affirm. Now, perhaps you might be thinking that this invitation is new that somehow Jesus has changed the name of the game. Well, listen carefully to what the author continues to say. He says, For we, verse 2, have also had the good news proclaimed to us. Again, this is a particular verb and noun that is used only in Christian literature. The good news, evangelizomai, the good news has been proclaimed to us. The gospel has been proclaimed to us. And we can probably say that the gospel has been proclaimed to us in the person and life of Christ, which is why it is so poignant that that statement is preceded by the idea that the gospel has been proclaimed to us as it was proclaimed to them. And who is this they that the author of Hebrews is referring to? Well, the people of Israel. In essence, the promise of the gospel isn't new. To those that would say that the Old Testament has been set aside with the cross, to those that would, like Marcion, 
the theologian of old, decide to construct a belief structure devoid of the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews will remind that the gospel remains the same. The same that was preached to Adam and Eve after the fall, the same that was preached in the desert-dwelling Exodus experience in the lips of Moses, the same that David uttered through the Psalms. The gospel doesn't change. What changes is our appreciation of the gospel. My dear friend, Israel was concerned with a place and God was pointing them to a person. And that is what happens so often to us. We are so often focused on places that we miss that God is calling us to people. It isn't about the seventh, the place that the Seventh-day Adventist church will hold as earth's history draws to a close. It is about the person of Christ. It isn't the place that you and I possess in the book of life. It is the person of Christ that allows us our insignias to be inscribed in that particular text. It isn't the place that you and I have vis-a-vis other believers. It is the person of Jesus that unites us in the brotherhood and sisterhood of a priesthood of all believers. The author of Hebrews is saying that the message hasn't changed. It remains the same. God is looking for a people to recognize not places, but the person of the playful God that continues to be incarnate. And that continues to wish and to wish and enflesh himself through our experiences. Now, he continues writing. Now we who have believed enter that rest. It is faith in the person of Christ that allows us the possibility to enter not into an experience of rest, but into an experience with the divine. When we talk about Sabbath, we often talk about time, don't we? We talk about time as it is joined with places. The idea of a day in which we, are to, we ought to remember that we are created beings. But if you think about what the author of Hebrews is saying, and then you join it to what the author of Genesis wrote all those years ago, you realize that the idea of Sabbath is a call to stop. That's what the word itself means. Sabbath means to cease to cease in order to allow us to hear better. We're invited then to experience eternity as we cease from labor, from earthly labor. The British theologian Peter Forsyth probably put it best when he wrote that Sabbath itself was a workshop for eternity. Now think about what Forsyth is trying to say. He is saying that if you understand Sabbath as a person and as not a space that you enter to, but a relationship that you begin to experience, i.e. the relationship with the divine, then Sabbath becomes a workshop in eternity because it is on Sabbath when you are particularly aware of the mystery that is God. 
It is Sabbath when you allow you yourself to cease in order to be filled by God. It is Sabbath when you allow the presence of God to overflow in your quotidian existence. I love the way that Eugene Peterson put it in a passage that has been haunting me for the past two weeks. When he talks about Sabbath in this way, he says, pastors and congregational leaders commonly cram the Lord's day with work, committees, meetings, projects, missions, even social activities. Much doing and much taking place displaces Sabbath quietness and stillness. Typically congregational leaders, knowing that they have these people all to themselves for just a few hours on just one day a week, conspire to get them involved in anything and everything they think will be good for their soul and for the good of the church. This is well-intentioned, but dead wrong. All the leaders do is get them so busy for the Lord that they have no time for the Lord. Pour in so much information about God that they have never have a chance to listen to God. When you think about the Old Testament and you think about Sabbath and the promise of rest be about being Canaan, you've missed the boat. When you think about Sabbath, and you think about it being the mark of the elect, you've missed the boat. For Sabbath is not about, Sabbath rest is not about Canaan or about your experience as part of the elect. Sabbath is about sharing in God's existence. And the idea then is that rest, rest provided by Jesus, Rest that is incarnational, rest that enfleshes the word of God, rest that is truly Sabbatarian, invites us to consider our existence in the light of his existence. And it is in that wonderful interplay between humanity and divinity that our souls can be at rest. Perhaps that is why Jesus says, come to me, all those who are heavy, heavy laden, and I, I will give you Sabbath. Joey, Jesus as the Sabbath. What did you think about this week's lesson? I think it's so powerful. Jesus as the Sabbath, that the Sabbath rest is not so much about a place or even a period in time, that it's about a person, that it's mm. about an experience with the person. And I love how you connected that also to the experience of the promised land, right? For for the Canaanites, we normally think of the promise, for the Israelites, we think of the promised land as the land of Canaan. Mm -hmm. For us, when we talk about the promised land, we're thinking about heaven. Mm -hmm. But you pointed out that neither of those things are really about the place. The place is just associated with the person. Mm -hmm. What made the promise, what made Canaan the promised land was that God was going to be with them there. What makes heaven, heaven, is that God is going to be with us mm -hmm. there. And so it's more about the person 
than it is about the place. I think that's so powerful. And how graceful a God we serve, isn't, uh, isn't he, that he invites us to share in his rest, yeah. not just any old type of rest, not, yeah. the, not the type of rest that you and I share on a Sunday or a Monday when we kick our feet up and we just lay on the couch. That's not the type of rest that God is talking about. It is this unhurried, unanxious, still quietness that defines his existence. And that I, I think is so compelling, the, the idea that we are invited to share, not just in the experience of rest, but the but in the experience of rest as God experiences rest. Yeah. I was that's that's what really struck me as I was studying these passages was how all encompassing mm -hmm. the rest that God describes is. Because normally we think of rest as more like physical rest. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm tired. I'm physically tired. I'm sleepy. And that, as you pointed out, is a part of it. But that's not all of it. It's emotional rest, spiritual rest. It's relational rest. It's rest from the stresses and worries and tensions of this mm -hmm. world. And man, could we use that kind mm -hmm. of rest? Yeah. And you know what else it is? It is long. It is everlasting rest. Mm. And that really, as, as we were thinking about the passages uh, for this lesson, both in, in Genesis and now here in, in our book for this quarter, that really struck me. Mm -hmm. when, we, when you and I think about rest, there's always kind of this anxiety building in the background. I remember being a student uh, in grade school and being really happy when Friday came along because we got to sleep uh, late and we got to stay uh, stay up late and it was just great. And there was always this bittersweetness to Sunday because mm -hmm. I knew that the weekend had ended. And yeah. so it was this restorative uh, space that, that I lived in, but it, there was also this, this anxiety because I knew that it wasn't going to last forever. Mm -hmm. Monday morning would come. Yes. The way that God experiences rest is rest is everlasting. And I think that's why it is so apropos that you're moving us away from the idea of looking at rest as the cessation of labor, because we labor is a good thing and we're going to work uh, hopefully in heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not simply the rest at rest as the cessation from labor. It is this all encompassing and everlasting experience in intermingling with with the divine that that is so compelling and so hope filling uh, as we think about the future so that uh, man that that really struck me when you were talking about labor so are you saying then in heaven although we will labor our labor will be different than how we experience labor here on earth I think it will. I think it it'll it'll be linked to the way God experiences labor right mm. so um, God, God made uh, six days, uh, he made what we see, and there was this wonderfully systematized way of organizing things where mm -hmm. God creates spaces and then fills those spaces, yeah. right? That's the rhythm of creation. Um, and so there's, there's this intentionality where the spaces and the labor to create spaces are in service of the relationships that are going to inhabit those spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's why God doesn't 
doesn't get tired because what God does is ultimately following this pattern, this pattern for relational richness. I'm going to create spaces that uh, allow for relational richness to occur in very much the same way that when we are building something that we know is going to further the experience of relational renewal or richness, and we're planning for the creation of those of these sacred yeah. spaces, there isn't exhaustion that follows. There's yeah. expectation of how wonderful the, space, the, the experience is going to be when we actually have these. So I think that the way that we are going to experience labor is in very much the same way that uh, the book of Isaiah describes labor, right? Mm -hmm. this, this idea of running and not growing weary yeah. because our, our race is for the sake of creating these relational spaces mm -hmm. that lead to expectation rather than exhaustion. Wow. So because the labor itself is so meaningful, it's um, we're not doing any busy work in heaven um, that it gives us this renewed sense of purpose. And that's where energy and and um, and and expectation comes from that that we were, we're not going to get overwhelmed or burnt mm -hmm. out with our labor in heaven. Yeah, I couldn't have said it. I couldn't have said it best. It's the same, I think. And I know we threw a lot of you know, relational expectation and uh, very some somewhat heady terms there. So we're going to simplify it. Have you ever gotten tired when you're planning for a vacation? Mm. I haven't. I've never been tired when I'm planning for a vacation or I'm planning for a for a family reunion. Yeah. The level of expectation mm. for these spaces that in these places that we are going to in these experiences that we're going to share, uh, I think, as you said, fills the preparation with a sense of wonder and mm. of awe and of expectation that make it impossible to feel weary. Um, I, it's, it's, I think, the same the same thing that the Jews do still to this day when they're talking about the Sabbath. Uh, the preparation to receive the Sabbath isn't seen as work. It's seen as something holy because you're preparing yourself for this, for this experience intermingling with the divine. And that uh, precludes us from feeling tired or restless when we're doing this, when we're engaged in this type of holy labor. That's, oh, wow. So that, so that kind of labor actually creates energy instead of sapping our energy because we, we have that expectation, that mm. excitement, yeah. When I think about um, planning a vacation, I, I actually get really excited. Sometimes mm -hmm. I, I go late into the night because I'm so excited about all the plans that we're gonna do and imagining all the things that are gonna happen. And it's just, yeah, it yeah. creates energy, that, that relational labor. That's awesome. And then this idea that Sabbath is is meant to be a little bit of a taste of that, mm -hmm. that experience, that heavenly experience um, here on earth. That it's it is that foretaste. I think the the uh, um, the quarterly used that term. Mm -hmm. It's a foretaste of heaven. That a Sabbath rest here on earth again is not so much about a time period or so much about a place. It is about a person, mm -hmm. the experience with mm -hmm. God. Yeah, you want to expand on that a little bit more? I think you've said it wonderful, and I think that's the good news, right? That's what remains uh, gospel about Sabbath. Yeah. Um, 
the 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 idea i mean think about how radical that is that god is telling people throughout the ages here you get to experience within the confines of time and space timelessness um this timeless experience of connectivity and relationship and intimacy with with your creator mm. that's good news yeah and um i think we we do a disservice when we when we try to prove sabbath uh based on the textual uh experiences that we have with the te- with uh, scripture or we try to disavow sabbath when we say well that was something that the jews did and it was cultural mm. i think there is this timelessness to, to the concept of Sabbath because it's been ingrained and woven into the gospel from the very beginning, this experience of personhood and intimacy and how your experience uh, as of peoplehood mm-hmm. is contingent on the experience of intimacy with the personhood of Christ. That is good news yeah. uh, because if I define my personhood and that is contingent on my experience with you or with my family or with uh, people I work with, uh, that there's always going to be something missing. Um, and, And now I'm being invited to experience my personhood in light of the personhood of Jesus. And that is, that's good news. Wow. Yeah, that Sabbath is good news, which um, sometimes the way that we've approached Sabbath in the past hasn't always felt like good mm-hmm. news. It was always about, well, the question that I always ask when growing up is, what am I allowed to do mm-hmm. on the Sabbath? And what I meant by that is, what am I not allowed <laughs> to do on the Sabbath? And yet, maybe, maybe the if, if Sabbath is supposed to be a foretaste of heaven, maybe the best way to answer what should we do on the Sabbath is, well, what do you imagine the best day in heaven will be mm-hmm. like? Do that on the Sabbath. Keep Sabbath like you imagine heaven will be like, and that that will really fulfill the spirit of the Sabbath. And when I think about heaven, like you were talking about, um, heaven is a place where I, I'm at peace with myself. I'm at relational peace with my fellow man and with God. That I'm spending time with God. I'm, I imagine myself being out in nature. I'm, I'm sure that's a little bit different for different people. Um, and that is not, like you said, is not so much a cessation of labor, but it's a different kind mm-hmm. of labor that we engage in, a type of labor that actually creates energy within us rather than, than um, saps mm-hmm. the energy from us. That's how I imagine heaven will be like, and maybe that's how we should try to keep the Sabbath here on earth. That would be a great way to keep the Sabbath. It's it's a hard way to keep the Sabbath, I think, because there's nothing normative about it then. Yeah. It, it becomes really something experiential. Um, I, I think the question then that, that, I, that I, would, I would counter with is, what things don't you have time to do during your week? Um, and in what times, what things can't you do during the week? So when I get home during the week, I'm zapped. Um, I've done my devotional in the morning. I've come. I've uh, done ministry sometimes more effectively than others. I've gotten home. I've put my kids to bed. And by the end of the day, I am exhausted and I need to escape. I need to disconnect. And so I'll turn on um, 
the television and I'll watch a show that that'll allow me kind of to disconnect from the busyness of the of the day and really what I'm doing there is it's it's something that I think we all do to a degree which is escapism right mm-hmm. um, and so I think the reason why I choose not to watch Netflix and to binge through a whole season of whatever on Sabbath is because I don't want to, there's nothing to escape from on Sabbath. Mm. And so I want to be fully present in the experience Mm. of Sabbath because I no longer have to escape Mm. from busyness or from worry or from anxiety or from whatever, whatever it is. And so that allows me to be fully present. And so I think the question then becomes, if you had the capacity to be fully present and there was the ability to do anything you wanted, uh, because time, because you were you were in this experience of intimacy and timelessness, then what would you do? Mm. How would you invest your time if you didn't have to escape? And I find uh, that the way the way I've looked at Sabbath since I've adopted those as kind of my barometers to yeah. to Sabbath celebration, uh, my experience of Sabbath has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. I I start with what I like to call a breakfast liturgy on Sabbath, which mm. is. I never eat sitting down. I never eat slowly. I never actually, so on Sabbath, I actually count how many times I chew my food. Mm. Um, and that there is a liturgical quality to preparing whatever it is you're going to have uh, for breakfast. There is a liturgical quality to driving to church on Sabbath. There is a liturgical quality to getting dressed on, on Sabbath regardless of what you're wearing, because you're doing it on, you don't need to escape. You can be fully present in the moment. Mm, Wow. Because during the rest of the week, you don't have the time to be fully present Mm -hmm. on the Sabbath. You create that space to say, I'm going to be fully present in this moment. I'm going to be as I wish I were, that I hope I will be when I be, Mm -hmm. when I'm in heaven. That's, that's how I'm going to experience this moment now. That's, that's so powerful. Man, so then when I when we think about Sabbath and it, it being such good news, it being an uh, experience of heaven uh, on earth, that sounds really good. So then what keeps us from experiencing that? What keeps us from entering into that rest? I mean, for, for the writer of Hebrews, he seems to be suggesting that what kept the Israelites from entering that rest was a lack of trust, mm-hmm. right? A lack of faith, as you pointed out in your in your talk. Is that the same for us? Is it a lack of faith that keeps us from entering into that kind of rest mm. now? I think it's going to be the same throughout throughout time, right? What kept Israel from experiencing complete and ultimate intimacy with God? Yeah. Well, um, faith, right? <laughs> they, they said, hum, God's not, God, it can't be this good. See, we're cynical, aren't we? <laughs> Um, we have this built-in cynicism, which serves, serves us really well most of the time. So yeah. most of the time, when you hear something is too good to be true, your cynicism actually serves as a defense mechanism in every single arena and realm of life, except when it comes to faith. Yeah. When it comes to faith, it's the only place that I can think of where the reality of it is better than what you can imagine it to be. 
Wow. You, you were talking about vacation. Mm. How often is the planning for the vacation better than the vacation itself? <laughs> um, it happens all the time. So I remember true. the first time I went to Disneyland, I spent weeks planning this this trip and what we were and the planning and the the idea and the conversation with my brother about all the things we were gonna do. Yeah. It was so much better than the actual experience of it because when we got there, it was everything was overpriced and it was hot and it was full of lines and we really didn't do as much as we thought we were gonna do, right? So when it comes to Sabbath rest and to faith, the experience is always better than what we imagine. But there, we have this built-in cynicism that says, no, it can't be that easy. Mm. And so what do we do with it? Mm. We turn around and we try to institutionalize it because if we institutionalize it, then we can have a better grasp on it. And if we have a better grasp on it, um, we can actually we can actually forge our expectations. Mm. Um, I think ultimately what prevents us, to answer your question in a more direct way, what prevents all of us from having this experience of rest is that we're afraid of being disappointed. Mm. And because we're afraid of being disappointed, we, we want to ameliorate the pain that we're going to feel with disappointment mm -hmm. by lowering our expectations. Mm -hmm. And the way we lower our expectations is we institutionalize. Because when you set a series of rules for Sabbath keeping, mm -hmm. you're gonna do the bare minimum, mm -hmm. right? So institution, when we, when we institutionalize something, when we codify it with rules, what we're actually doing is we're trying to restrict it to the lowest acceptable denominator. Mm -hmm. And we do that because we want to manage our expectation. And so I think lack of faith, at least for the author of Hebrews, is this, is this desire to manage expectations because we're afraid that God is going to disappoint us. Wow. And so what, what would life look like if we said, well, um, I'm going to lose that fear of disappointment and mm -hmm. I'm going to stop managing my expectations because the experience of whatever God has for me surpasses what I think it ought to be or it will be or I dream it to be. I mean, I, I, I don't know if we're capable of doing it because mm -hmm. cynicism is so ingrained in us, but it'd be really interesting to see what that would look like. Wow. Wow, you said that so well. We manage our our faith so that we won't be disappointed. That's, and that's not just in, in the Sabbath. That's with everything, mm -hmm. right? Even when we are like, for example, praying for someone who's sick, um, the Bible challenges us to pray that if 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 we pray with faith that the person will be healed, and yet we try to manage that faith so that when and if it doesn't happen, we won't be disappointed yeah. that our faith won't fall through, that you know, we won't feel like God hasn't come through for us. So in a lot of ways, we sort of we sort of handcuff God, mm. right? With our our rule, our institutionalized rules, um, both in in the way that we experience him in regular everyday life and, and also how we experience him in the Sabbath. We, like you said, we institutionalize the rules. That's that's really powerful. And we're not saying that um, boundaries on the Sabbath are bad because we need to experience boundaries, right. right? Boundaries are what let us experience the fullness. Like 
Um, for example, on Valentine's Day or on my wife's birthday, I make boundaries. Mm -hmm. I say these other things that are good, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to work um, on Valentine's evening. I'm not going to answer phone calls <laughs> while I'm having dinner with my wife so that I can really experience the fullness of that relationship and that time with. So that bound, those boundaries are healthy. So we're not saying that boundaries are not good, that we should have a boundaryless Sabbath. But when we institutionalize the rules, when we say, well, these are the boundaries that we have to set for every single person mm -hmm. and every single person's boundaries need to look the same, what we're doing is we're trying to manage the expectations and trying to almost like manufacture a mass-produced experience of the Sabbath for everyone. And then we just it just loses its flavor. It loses mm -hmm. its power. It loses that one-on-one -on -one experience mm -hmm. with God. Yeah, so I mean... And I think we, we all have had experiences where we're trying to get away with the bare minimum because mm -hmm. we're saying, okay, well, this is the rule. I'm going to, I'm going to do it and I'm going to get away with the bare minimum. I remember looking, uh, desperately at the sun as it was setting on Friday night, um, uh, because there was, uh, there was a sporting event and I wanted to watch the end of the game and I couldn't, I was praying, uh, for the sun. I was making that that Joshua prayer so that the sun would would stay uh, above for a couple hours more above me for a couple hours more I think God would have rather me just finish watching the game and then you know if if we're if if, if it's dark then and the sun has set then I, then God would have said hey you know what finish watching your game and then and then come and and hang out with me uh, because you're not really present here and then the same thing would happen Saturday night like Saturday night it was okay when can we go out and play mm -hmm. and you're counting down and I, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember they used to they used to print on the bulletin when the sun would set to the minute. And so you were looking at 728 because you knew that at 728 with one second, you could, you could go back to living your life. And I think God would have rather you say, hey, if you really want to go out and play so badly, then just go and do it. Uh, because you're not present. I think that's the problem with institutionalizing rules. Mm. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with boundaries. I think as you've, as you've so articulately stated, boundaries are helpful. I think the problem is when these boundaries become institutional. So when, when uh, you're trying to regulate Valentine's Day or mm. birth or oh, uh, yeah. birthday, and you're trying to say, these are the things that I'm expecting. Yes. Um, and then you're going to get a, to, to fulfill that list mm. because you're trying to get away with the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, Sabbath invites us, I think, to, to an experience of awe and wonder that you cannot get if you're, if you're focusing on doing the bare minimum. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm desperate to see what releasing God from his handcuffs would look like. Uh, both in our Sabbath uh, celebrations and in our faith experience as a whole. Wow, when you were talking about Valentine's Day and what if we codified it, one part of me thought, man, that would be really nice, mm -hmm. right? You know, if, if somebody just said, okay, if you do these six things on Valentine's Day, then Valentine's Day is perfect mm -hmm. and that's all you needed to do. I think there would be some men out there that would say, Yes, let's do that. Let's codify it. And we all do the same thing. And nobody looks like the bad person. 
And that's sort of how we approach the Sabbath mm -hmm. because we were like, just show me with a bare minimum that I need to do. Just tell me what it is. And then that, and then I, that I've done enough and that's enough. But, um, that saps all the life out of the Sabbath mm. and that saps all the life out of the Valentine's day. If you're going to just do that, might as well not do it at all. Right. right? Because then, because really the Valentine's day is really about experiencing love together. Mm -hmm. And that may happen if you do one thing or if you do 10 things, or it, it's more about the person like you're talking about than about a place that you go or about an experience that you mm -hmm. set up. It's, it's more about engaging with that person that you love and really, that's what you're saying the Sabbath is all about. Yeah, I, I think you just you just hit on it. I mean, we men, I think, that are trying to do the bare minimum would love the idea of just getting a list and what are appropriate gifts and just give me your list. I remember Linda and I get into this uh, conversation all the time. I tell her, hey, here's my list for, for Christmas or my birthday. These are some things I need. Um, she refuses to give me a list and she refuses to give me a list because she wants to be surprised. And I think in that sense, she has a much more healthy relationship with awe and wonder than I do. I'm being very practical yeah. about, about celebrations and what I need, but God doesn't want us to be practical. Yeah. Uh, God isn't really about practicality. God is about transformation. And so in order for that to happen, there needs to be a pretty vast uh, space in those boundaries that, that have been allotted for us. So we can experience uh, the relationship in ways that are unique, in ways that are life-giving, in ways that are faith-affirming, in ways that are experien experientially rich. Um, and that we, I don't feel comfortable telling people here, this is the way that you need to do it. Because ultimately, Joey, don't you think that doesn't produce rest? It, it mm -hmm. heightens anxiety. Yes. Um, if you have this list of six things that you need to do for Valentine's, and, if, and that is in, in your definition and your identity as a good husband is contingent on you doing these six things mm. and doing them correctly, I... Maybe it's just me, but I I've, I see myself having a lot of difficulty wrestling with, hey, did I do these six things right? Or am I missing something? Mm -hmm. Or um, is this good enough? Or is it not good enough? Is, is Am I doing these six things in the way that my wife wants me to do them? Am I not? And so instead of promoting rest, what it's actually doing is this heightening anxiety. And so pretty soon it's not six things. It's six things plus one because mm. you want to be sure. And then it'll be six, six things plus two. And by the time you get to the Sabbath, it's six things. Uh, plus a bunch of other things that you wanna that you wanna create as they used to say a hedge around the Sabbath, mm -hmm. and so there never was this experience of rest. There was an experience of anxiety and ex exhaustion when it came to the Sabbath. Wow. So maybe if, when we teach the Sabbath to to someone who is experiencing this for the first time, we shouldn't focus so much on the list of do's and don'ts. Focus more on the experience and say. What do you think? What do you think God would love mm -hmm. in on this day? What do you think this this time? How how can you spend this time to do things with God that you never have time to do during the rest of the mm. week? 
right? Um, what would what would deepen your love for God and deepen your love for your fellow man? What maybe we should focus on those types of things rather than this list because I can't imagine anybody coming up to somebody and saying, "Well, on Valentine's Day, um, son, <laughs> you should you know definitely always get her flowers, get mm-hmm. her candy." And what if she doesn't like candy? And what if I don't know she doesn't like flowers, mm-hmm. right? So um, or say you should never watch football. Well, what if she likes watching football mm-hmm. with him? So that experiences changes depending on the person's relationship with their wife, their spouse. Um, And so maybe, maybe we should also give that kind of flexibility Mm. to each other. And that's, I think, a a great launching point for a different way of experiencing rest. Um, It's interesting, right, that when when, uh, our lesson was talking about this, this, this way in which God experiences rest and it was pushing us back to consider Obviously, the the idea of Sabbath in the context of the Genesis account, it's interesting that when God stops and ceases, it allows him for time to affirm. Mm. And so there's this there's this wondrous affirmation of of creation. Um, God's it, you know God saw what he saw uh, saw what he had created and said it was ve- it, indeed it was very good. And I think. Often, when uh, labor uh, is involved, um, when production is what we're striving for, when efficiency is what we're always searching for, often it's it's very hard to step back and stop and then affirm the goodness of something. Um, and so Sabbath, I think, when you're when you're doing it in the way that you're describing, it allows us to stop and step back and just affirm. It it allows us to affirm the inherent goodness that each other that we possess as people created in the image of God. It assu- it allows us to affirm the goodness of the world we live in with all its problems and its brokenness. It still is my father's world, as this, mm-hmm. as the old hymn would state. And so it's a time for mutual affirmation. It's a time for affirmation of our environments. It's, it's a time, I think, for affirmation of a God who continues to be present mm-hmm. in ways that are unexpected. I think that's why uh, I, when we when we read a little bit from uh, Peterson, that the title for his book where he talks about the Sabbath is so apropos because he says, look, the point of Sabbath and the point of creation is to open your eyes to see where God is playing. Mm-hmm. For Peterson, God is a playful God and God plays in 10,000 places. And so it's a time for affirmation and for wonder and an invitation to see where God is playing in unexpected places. And we, we would do well to say, hey, um, God, God, is at, God is at work uh, in the world. God is at work in each other. God is at work in our church. Yes, we're not perfect, but God is doing something. Mm. Wow. I, I loved how you made that connection in your talk about Sabbath and the word stop right? That Sabbath is to stop and create a space to affirm all the places that God is playing, that God is doing good things. Um, and yet that perhaps is one of the hardest parts of the Sabbath for many of us is being able to stop 
like Peterson says, even when we create that space, it's almost like um, when humans um, uh, clean out a closet, right? As soon as we clean out a closet, what do we do? You want to fill it. <laughs> we fill it with more stuff, right? And that's what we often do with our, our, our stop Sabbath time. We stop and create the space and we're so uncomfortable with the space that we fill it with activity immediately. And it actually becomes the anti antithesis of what, what antithesis of what Sabbath is mm -hmm. supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be a moment where we can actually look, have, have a pause so that we can look and affirm. But instead we are so busy doing other kinds of activities that we don't even have time mm -hmm. to do that. So why? Why do we do that? When I think about why we, we do that, I think it goes back to that, that aspect of trust, that we don't trust God to keep everything moving in our lives if we don't mm. keep moving ourselves. Yeah. That we're so afraid, we're, we're juggling so many balls, we're afraid of dropping, we're so afraid of dropping one, mm. so afraid that God can't continue to juggle the balls if we stop. And yet that's what God is saying is mm. trust me enough to stop because I have it. That's that's so well stated. Uh, your your connection between trust and fear. Um, I, I think a lot of times when you're asking to empty the closet, you're afraid of what the what the empty space is going to look like. Mm. Right. You're afraid that the carpet might be moldy or the walls might be scuffed up. And so dealing with that, um, if once you've emptied out this closet, then you actually have to deal with the carpet that's moldy and the wall that is scuffed up and you have to do some reparative work. Yeah. I think that happens a lot with us as well. When we empty ourselves, mm. we're really afraid of what's going to be there mm. when everything else is gone. Mm. I think, it, it, it's it's been for some reason which I still can't understand uh, kind of a taboo word in Adventist or in a lot of Adventist circles this notion of spiritual formation but that's at the core of of any formational practice in spirituality is this idea right in order to fix what's wrong with you or to allow God to really speak into these areas of your life that where, where there's brokenness, you need to empty yourself out of uh, from all these other things, because then that's when the repair, the reparative work occurs. You got to trust that God is going to do that work. Mm. You got to trust that God is big enough to fill you up and then you've got to be fearless and, and know wow. that whatever you find uh, in in that messy closet, God's going to be able to repair. And that, as I think you said, it's going to require a combination of faith and fearlessness. So what keeps us from stopping is not just the fear of dropping the balls, but the fear of who we are if we're not juggling. Mm -hmm. Who are we and what will we see inside ourselves if we're not constantly keeping ourselves busy? Yeah. So then, then Sabbath is all about helping us to move from operating out of fear to operating out of mm -hmm. faith. And it's a central spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. We're, uh, we, we can't be afraid of doing the work, right? A friend of mine uh, was talking, we were talking about this idea uh, just this week and he said, look, I don't, when we talk about grace and love and compassion and rest and restoration, 
all, there's there's some sections of Christianity that think we're that think we're talking about just laziness. Mm. It's not. There mm. there are there's some definite work that needs to happen. If you want to get strong, uh, you need to you need to exercise your body. If you want to get fast, you need to run. If you mm. anything you want to do requires disciplined repetition. If you want to grow spiritually, then you need to immerse yourself in spiritual activities. And Sabbath is a spiritual practice. That's why God instituted it in as part of your rhythm of life. Spiritual practices often occurred, right? And were connected to the rhythms of life. And so I think it's a weekly spiritual activity that allows you to uh, deepen your faith mm-hmm. and to evolve in your in your in your courage and as as you said before it's it's also going to be an opportunity to allow ourselves to achieve a new type of identity right mm-hmm. jesus gives us rest well what is this new type of identity i am not the balls that i'm juggling i am not uh the failure that i am when some of those balls inevitably falls to the ground i am something else Mm. um and so it's it's interesting to see who we are when we start when we start uh scratching uh deeper in our concepts of sabbath wow so sabbath isn't just then a foretaste of heaven it's also a preparation for heaven Mm -hmm. it's a preparation for us to have the faith to actually enter that rest Mm -hmm and not to be worried about who we are and be, not be afraid of who we are if we're not constantly juggling these balls, not be afraid of dropping the balls, to be that person that trusts God completely enough to be able to stop mm. and create those spaces for God to work. Yeah, that's that's so well said, Joey. Um, Sabbath then is a workshop of eterni- uh, for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I think, why I love Forsyth's description mm-hmm. of Sabbath, because in a workshop, you are doing the work now, yeah. um, and it, the work is in preparation for the everlasting tomorrow experience of God. And uh, this workshop then provides uh, just a slice of what it's going to be like. And I'm excited. I'm excited to, to experience this idea of heaven and Sabbath here today, this t- today on this Sabbath, as well as tomorrow in the Sabbath uh, when we're when we're in the heavenly city. So, Joey, can you pray as as we as we stop and we rest and we think about the God of Sabbath? Yes, let's bow our heads. Good and gracious God, we we want to thank you for the Sabbath. At times, we've twisted it so that it doesn't feel like good news. And yet, it is one of the most beautiful gifts that you could have given to, to us, especially especially in this sin-filled world where labor has gotten twisted, rest has gotten twisted. You've, you've created this space in the week where you said, this is a day where you can experience a taste of what Mm. heaven's going to be like. Mm. And in experiencing that taste, you'll be prepared for the heaven that is to come. So Lord, help us to enter with faith into that experience of the Sabbath, to trust that you'll not only keep the balls going, 
but that you'll also be forming us inside so that we don't have to be afraid of who we are if the balls aren't being tossed. Thank you so much for being our God of the Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dear friends, fear no more. Sabbath is here, and we'll see you next week as we continue talking about the epistle to the Hebrews. Thank you.